a lot to know about in dentistry. We should be having discussions about business, entrepreneurship, and innovation. So let's start right here, right now. This is the Business of Drilling. All right, so welcome back to the Business of Drilling. Today, we have a really awesome guest, Dr. Hisham Shurgan. Dr. Hisham Shurgan completed his dental degree at the University of Detroit Mercy. In school, he was the recipient of several academic awards, distinctions, and scholarships, and was the vice president of his class. After graduating in 2011, he then went on to complete his AGD program at the St. John's Providence Health System in Detroit before establishing himself in London, Ontario. Dr. Shurgan went on to study business administration and management at the University of Toronto and obtained his MBA from the Ivy Business School. Dr. Shurgan is an active member at several study clubs in the London area, the RCDSO, the ODA, and the CDA. He's the co-founder of Dentistry Academy, which provides hands-on clinical training and mentorship to dentists. Many would describe him as a passionate dentist, businessman, and entrepreneur, but everyone who knows him describes him as a genuinely good guy. He also happens to be our co-host brother, Jury, Dr. Shurgan. Welcome. Happy to have you on board. How are you doing? I'm doing very, very well. Thank you so much for having me, uh, Vlad. Thank you, everyone, for, uh, for having me today. I'm super excited to be on this episode. Awesome. So today I'm joined by my co-hosts, Chris and Jury. Chris, how are you doing? I'm good. I'm good. This is uh, this is a podcast that's been uh, uh, a long time coming. So excited, excited to Sweet. talk to Dr. again. Sweet and Jury, how you doing? I'm doing well. This is definitely a very special podcast for me. So happy to be here and happy to have you here, Hisham. Great. So let's just kind of get right into it. So Hisham, tell us about your story. Like, what was your journey? How did you get to where you are today? So I'm, I'm originally from. Windsor, Ontario. I graduated in 2011. And as you said, Vlad, I, I did an AEGD. The main reason why I did an AEGD is because I was hell bent into doing oral surgery. Um, third year, I, I really worked hard to, to go into that tract. And then fourth year, I started getting my doubts. You know, it was oral surgery for me. I really enjoyed um, prosthodontics. I enjoyed endo. Um, so there's a lot of things about general dentistry that I truly was very passionate about and I enjoyed. So I decided to enroll in a year-long EGD program at, uh, at Detroit Mercy, so the same uh, dental school that I went to. And after that, I really found passion in general dentistry. I recognize that uh, oral surgery, it's its not that it's not for me, but there's other things in dentistry that I I'm truly more passionate about. Um, and then after I graduated, I decided, you know what, I'm probably, it's probably a good time to, to leave Windsor because I've been there for my high school, undergrad and dental school. So I decided to move to London, Ontario, which is just far enough for me to do my own thing, but close enough to be home for, for breakfast on a Sunday morning. Um, after that, I started working for a, a gentleman who has since passed away. His name is Rick Merritt. And that's where the whole story really starts. That's where, you know, he ignited the flame for me, where he owned nine clinics and he was a bit older in, and, and later late in his career, and he handed a lot of responsibilities off to me. How do you manage? How do you hire? How do you fire? Um, you know, how do you go ahead and recruit certain individuals? How do you take care of certain uh, situations where there may be conflict? And I caught the bug after that. I, uh, you know, I, I loved and enjoyed dentistry so much. I mean, anybody that knows me could tell you that, uh, you know, I, I eat, sleep and breathe dentistry, uh, the clinical aspect of it and the, the whole business thing. That's that's kind of my side gig. And then after that, that to just continue to grow with just a, a bunch of motivated partners, uh, a bunch of motivated associates who became partners. And uh, it just continues to happen every year. We've continued to grow about 20% year over year. And, you know, what? 10 years later, I'm still finding myself super passionate about dentistry, very into it. And uh, I couldn't be happier. Honestly, it's, 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 it's a joy that, uh, that, that I, I go, I show up and it's not even work. It's, it's something that I enjoy doing, you know, hanging out with some friends and my colleagues and just taking good care of our patients. That's incredible. That's cool. Hopefully, you know, we, we get into a position too, where, you know, we, we kind of share the same enthusiasm about dentistry like you do, because it's really inspirational. Honestly, like you, you kind of, I don't know how others perceive you, but like when, I think about what you do. I'm just blown away at how busy you seem like you are. But every time I have a conversation with you, you're, you're always so happy, enthusiastic. And even when I see you one time when we we're over at juries and, you know, you had a long day and you're tired, um, but you're still so willing to help us. You're helping us with suturing and telling us a little techniques and stuff. So that, that's awesome. That's, uh, that's definitely something to look up to. Yeah, thank you. So, and, and you know what? We, we enjoy, I enjoy it so much, right? So that, that's, that's why, honestly, it's not, uh, it's not work when you love what you do. <laughs> Yeah, that's great. 
So we wanted to focus in on kind of what you talked about, like the, the sort of intricacies of, you know, employment and, and uh, you know, how you get started as an associate and on the flip side, you know, how you deal with your associates if we have time. Right. So I guess, um, I guess I'll kind of jump right into it. When we, I guess, start off on, you know, what should you be looking for as a new graduate? What were you looking for in your first practice? What were you looking for in your first job? I remember one of the things that I would always say, even when I was a young dentist, just, you know, mentoring the the guys that were a year or two behind me, I always said, follow the opportunity. You know, it's not about, I mean, it, it's, it's very scary to be in debt the way that uh, most dental students are and, you know, recognize that right off the bat, you're just thinking, I just need to find a job so I can pay the bills and I can pay off my debt. And I think there, there is a lot of truth to that. And I think it's very important for you to do your due diligence about which opportunity that you, you, you choose to pursue or which, which, uh, which career or which, which practice that you decide to work in. But more importantly, follow an opportunity that makes sense to you. Everybody has a different path. Everybody has um, you know, uh, different hobbies, different skill sets, and, and different um, long and short-term objectives that they want to pursue. So just make sure that whatever opportunity that you, you, you choose to consider, that it checks off a lot of the boxes for you. Yeah, that makes sense. That, that being said, once you, once you, I'm assuming when you were looking for jobs, like you seem like someone who does their due diligence and, and, uh, and, and make sure they're set up in the right place. But was there something that you wish you knew when you were applying to jobs that like, that, that you, you just started and, and you just had no idea about? Well, I'll tell you, I wasn't, um, I wouldn't say I did the due diligence that I should have at the time. You know, I, I would, I, you know, I went to my, my mentor at the time and I told him that he can literally hire me for free. Right. I don't really care what he paid me because for me, what I was more focused on was just the opportunity to learn uh, from him something that I couldn't learn in a textbook or something that I couldn't just see working at a, a solo practice. Right. So um, so for me, it wasn't really about the money. Right. It was about doing good, ethical, quality dentistry and the money would always work itself. Uh, itself out in that sense, right? So to to do your due diligence, of course, the train has changed significantly from 10 years ago. So um, without a doubt, and and I'm more than happy to discuss in details, what are the the steps that you need to take to make sure that, you know, you dot all of your I's and you cross all your T's in going ahead and starting this journey, right? Because I've seen, and on a daily basis, I talk to certain dentists that didn't really do that, right? They, they, you know, they were as naive as I was 10 years ago and they jumped in an opportunity that they may have not have been as lucky as myself, right? Where they're not happy at all, right? So, um, and I just, I just hired a, uh, a Western grad actually that graduated from the Western program a few years ago. And he was, was asking so many questions. It was incredible, right? And we'll talk about those questions as well. But it, it was very impressive to see how much the new grad has learned and, you know, the the, the, the script and the professionalism that, that you're able to deliver at such a young age. And my advice to you is just to continue to add um, to your armamentarium of what to look for, right? Because, I mean, there's no such thing as a perfect opportunity, right? But there are certain things that you can be mindful of. There are certain red flags. There are certain signs or certain writing on the wall that you should be aware of before you go ahead and sign a contract. Because once you sign a contract, things are a little bit different as well, right? Because there are certain things that you have to be mindful of. There are certain things that you cannot violate because if you do, there are also some bigger uh, consequences and repercussion that you have to be accountable for too. Mm -hmm. So if we can put you knowing all that you know now in a situation where you're being interviewed for a job um, as a new dentist. And I think many times as applicants for a job, we're focused on on our the impression we're making or the questions that we're going to be asked. And we kind of lose sight of we're also interviewing them and seeing if it's a good fit. So in that situation, what questions should you be asking? That, that, that's very good. So, I mean, um, so before we do that, I would say start shadowing first. Right. Because it's very important for you to come at it from a perspective where you understand what private practice really is or when what it looks like. Right. So going to multiple clinics is going to help you be able to go ahead and ask better questions. You see what I mean? So, um, uh, for example, if 
one of the questions that you could ask them is what kind of technology do you currently have in your clinic? And if they say we have a CVCT or a, you know, an Omnicam or a prime scan or a prime mail or an Itero, and you don't know what these are and you're not familiar with them, then even if they said it, you're just going to go ahead with a big smile nod and you're going to say, wow, that sounds great. Right. And if you don't ask them, well, what kind of training modules or what kind of um, investment will you be making in me in making me understand these tools and have access to this certain technology and have the appropriate training to be able to deliver this type of technology to our patients, then you're basically asking a question that doesn't necessarily have much value. You know what I mean? Like you have, um, you know, it's, it's it, there's so many more levels of complexity to those questions. So, but to answer your question, uh, Jury, I would probably ask a couple of the basic, these are kind of the, the bread and butter, the, uh, the cookie cutter um, questions, right? The first question is, you know, how many patients do you have at your clinic? Okay, because I mean, it's a very easy um, question because at the end of the day, if you don't have enough patients at a clinic, well, then why are you planning to hire me, right? It doesn't make sense for me to come work and I'm not busy with patients and I'm just sitting around doing nothing, right? So, um, you know, what kind of patients are you seeing at the clinic? You know, is your clinic dominant um, insurance-based patients or are you seeing a lot of government patients or HSO patients? Um, is it a mix? Um, how do you handle certain patients or certain yeah, from, you know what I mean, um, you know, HSO patients or healthy spouse patients or uh, First Nations patients, right? So these questions you have to ask, and it doesn't mean that you should, you know, you're, you're, you know, you should, your decision should be based on that, but it just allows you to position yourself as to understand what kind of practice is it that's in front of you, okay? So um, the other question is, um, you know, what is my compensation going to look like? You know, some dental clinics that I've seen in, in, in the last few months are, are paying their associates 35%, where other clinics more up north are paying, or rural areas are paying somewhere near 45 to 50%, right? Um, what are my expectations when I get go ahead and get started? Right. And I think that's very, very important because what do you expect of me being a new grad when I come into the clinic? Right. Am I just supposed to be seeing new patients and do cleanings? Am I supposed to be doing fillings? Do you expect me to take out, you know, uh, extraction or to do, uh, you know, simple or complicated extractions? Um, so talking to your principal or the office manager and asking them as many of these type of questions as possible, it helps you just understand what their expectations are of you and what your expectations are of them as well. Um, the other thing too is that has, are, am I replacing somebody, right? And I think that's very, very important that the, the, the newly hired uh, um, associate that we just brought on, he asked if I could, if he could reach out to the previous two associates at this clinic. And I thought that was a brilliant, brilliant question because, I mean, at the end of the day, think about it. If I said no, or if they reached out to those individuals and they say, man, don't work at this place, it's it's an absolute hellhole or it's not busy or whatever it is, of course, there's going to be red flags and rightfully so, you should proceed with caution. But if you pick up the phone and you call and you, they have nothing but great things to say about the staff and the patient and and the principal and the organization then you should be a little bit at ease knowing that you know what you're there's no traps here it's not smoke and mirrors to a reputable facility um the other thing too and this is a huge huge one that you guys should all ask right now is do you have adequate staffing for me Right now, there's a huge shortage of staff across the entire globe. And, you know, nothing is worse than, you know, you starting, a, you know, at a brand new clinic and you don't have an assistant. Right. So it's very important to, to also ask that that kind of those kind of questions. Talk about mentorship. I know that that word gets used and thrown around very loosely these days. What is mentorship? Does mentorship involve? Yeah, you can call me at any time, Vlad. Just if you have any questions, just give me a call. Or does it involve, you know, that principal or the manager coming into your operatory and essentially holding your hand? 
right? A lot of times people make a mistake going into a busy clinic and seeing the principal dentist being very busy and think that they're going to be able to get mentorship from this principal dentist. That's not always the case because the principal dentist is extremely busy running around, taking care of their own patients and, and doing their thing. And they may not always be able to step aside and say, you know, hey, Christian, let's sit down and talk about a case or two that you have, right? What kind of continuing education does this facility, uh, this business offer, right? Are we, are you investing in your staff? Are you investing in your doctors? You know, are you, will you be covering my, or, or offer me some type of stipend or um, incentive to go ahead and take on certain courses, right? So um, small, small questions like this definitely, you know, add a tremendous amount of value to what it is that, that you're looking for. Mm-hmm. That those are just incredible. Those are gems. So that's going to be at the forefront of the episode for sure. But I mean, my question to you is, you know, in, in an Ontario market, right? Everyone's talking about how it's very saturated and the jobs are hard to come by. One of the first guests we had on here was explaining that, you know, one position that she was applying for had almost a hundred applicants for one associateship position. So what's your perspective on, you know, if you were a new grad in this atmosphere, um, you know, Will you be stepping on someone's toes? Like if you start asking these types of questions, you know, especially things like compensation. Um, Some people feel uncomfortable talking about it directly. These are all, these are all fair questions. So sorry to interrupt. These are all fair questions. And these are questions that the principal or the manager is expecting. Right. So, and, and keep in mind, no matter how saturated the market currently is, you're going to get 40%. You know what I mean? Because that's what the going rate is, for example, in Ontario, right? So if, for example, somebody comes up to you, Vlad, and says, you know what, Vlad, this opportunity, we've had 100 applicants, so the best that we can do is offer you 30%. You know, if you give me a call, I'd say, Vlad, do not touch that opportunity. Like, you know, don't look at that office at all because someone down the road will be able to give you 40%, no problem. Right. So and I, I, I don't believe I might disagree. I don't believe that the market is saturated. Right. I think that there is currently um, based you know, with, with the pandemic and with many restrictions and with a lot of uh, with a lot of internationally trained dentists not being able to um, to get their license in Canada in the recent uh, few years. There's actually a shortage of dentists and there's a shortage of good, capable dentists as well. Anywhere you go from you know, downtown Toronto to Windsor, Ontario, if you're a dentist that is marketable in the sense that you have good ethics, you're, you're, you're constantly pushing the envelope of what it is that you're capable of doing, um, you're eager to learn, you're personable, you can find a job anywhere. And I can guarantee you that. Okay. That, that honestly puts me a little bit at ease, but that's good to know. So, uh, sorry, I, um, from, from, from your perspective, what are, I mean, like, obviously you have in the past, um, looked at hiring new graduates and, and then in, uh, in, in my eyes, a new graduate is like a blank slate. Like they don't really know much. I like, they know the basics and then they'll continue to learn and so on. But what are red flags for you? Obviously red flags wouldn't be, um, amount of knowledge because leaving dental school, most uh, students, I would say have a relatively similar baseline level of knowledge. So what are those red flags? Absolutely. And then that's a very good question, Christian. And I've always loved to hire new grads to the point that you said, right? It's a, it's a you know, new grads are a blank slate. They don't have a lot of bad habits. Um, you can, you can easily mentor them and not get a lot of resistance because the experience level is essentially at zero. But to answer your question as to um, what are red flags that I look at, for example, in uh, just answer just to ask question to get a little bit more clarification, red flags in offices or red flags in basically applicants to a position? Applicants to the position. Absolutely. I think, I think both. Could you address both perspectives yeah, sure. as well? Absolutely. So let's start with a practice first. Okay. So um, as a new grad looking for your future um, employee oppor- employment opportunity, um, first thing that you always want to do is you want to talk to the staff. And that's why I think shadowing is very important because you want to see the condition that the staff and your the patients are in. 
if you're walking into an environment and it's very tense, it's, it's literally like razor sharp. It's like you're walking on eggshells in this practice, right? And everybody's really stressed out and you're like, oh my God, I don't even want to breathe right now. Before I feel like somebody's going to you know, explode or yell at me or anything like that. Or same thing with your patients. The patients are coming in and they're super nervous. They're crying and, and all these other different things that might you know, make you, you know, that might be significantly different than you shadowing at a clinic where everybody's very happy. Everybody's having, you know, lunch or dinner together. Everybody's high-fiving each other. Everybody's engaged in what it is that they're doing. The patients are coming up and saying, oh my God, you guys, this guy is amazing or the staff member is amazing as well. So um, these are very important things that you should definitely consider when, when looking for an opportunity, right? So the culture within the clinic is very important important and also the patients as well. So make sure that you cue in on those um, very subtle cues. The others are, um, we talked about references. If a dentist comes up and says, I'm not giving any references out. Like it's uh, to me, it's, it's a huge red flag because at the end of the day, recognize that we're in a professional setting. Um, so, you know, you always have, you should have access to previous employers or previous associates that you can reach out to and just get their honest opinion, the good, the bad, and the ugly. Um, the other red flag to me is when the principal dentist is not around or a, a managing or an authority figure isn't around. Because at the end of the day, being a new grad, there is a huge void that you're looking for towards mentorship, learning, you know, how do you deal with a certain complication? How do you manage your time? So you need to have a senior authority figure that's close by or that's checking in on you often that will help guide you with that. So if you're going into a clinic and you're essentially just expected to babysit an office or to work on your own, um, you know, that's something that I would really think twice about going towards because you're essentially setting yourself up for fa failure. So making sure that you have guidance and mentorship um, is very, very important. Um, the other thing too, from, 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 from a different perspective as well is, you know, it, it's making sure that your time is being respected as much as you're respecting the office's time, right? So for example, if you're showing up to shadow or for an interview, and if they just basically keep you to the side and half an hour later, they finally bring you in and they say, oh my God, hey, Christian, nice to meet you. And, and they don't really respect your, your, your presence or who you are or value it or your time. I think you should really think twice uh, about, you know, about uh, situations and circumstances like that. Um, but, uh, but those are kind of the ones when it comes to the red flags of a practice or when it, when you're going in for the interview. Now to answer it on the other side, what red flags do we see about um, new grad dentists? Recognize that you guys are, as you said, Christian, a blank slate. You guys don't know what you don't know. You don't know much about dentistry. I've always said um, graduating out of dental school gives you anywhere from six to eight months of experience in private practice, right? So you automatically need to go into an interview being very humble, um, understanding the fact that you're, you're there to learn, you're there to push yourself, and you're there to more or less to learn from everybody around you. Nothing is worse than having someone that we're interviewing that's the know-it-all, you know, oh, I've done this, or Oh, I know what this is. Oh, five, I've done that many times already. Or, you know, I've taken out the hardest teeth that, you know, that you could ever take out. Or I've done the toughest root canals. We, we recognize that, you know, you might have been top of your class in, you know, in, in dental school, but even the top of their class in dental school is still the bottom of the barrel in private practice. You see what I mean? So it's very important to be humble when it is, when you're coming to an interview, recognizing the fact that you still have so, so much to learn. Right. And at the other side, also making sure that you're presentable, making sure that obviously you don't show up in dirty, smelly clothes and you don't show up late. Um, one of the things that uh, it's, I'll tell you guys a funny story. I, I don't know if Western a couple of years ago had someone talk to the, the, the class about interview preps, but they said, you know what, if you're coming to shadow a clinic, you should always never show up empty handed. 
right? Show up with like a box of donuts or a coffee or whatever it is, right? And I, I remember the class very clearly. Every time someone would come into shadow, they were bringing either a box of Timbits or, you know, a bunch of coffee and everything like that. And I think that that's actually very good advice, right? It's all about kind of the, the law of reciprocity of being the first to give. And, you know, nothing is better than going to your staff and say, hey, guys, I got you a coffee or a donut. The reason why I say that is a lot of times the principal dentist or the manager, the manager or the, the authority figure of the clinic is going to go up to the assistant. They're going to go up to the front desk receptionist. They're going to go up to even their own patients and say, what did you think about uh, Vlad? What did you think about Jury? What do you think about Christian? Right. And then they're going to get that type of feedback. I interviewed a girl last week. And after the interview, I really said, I literally sat down with every one of my staff members and I, I told them, I asked them, what are their thoughts of this individual? Right. And if there is any type of doubt, then I really do think twice about that. Right. So, um, so that's a huge, a huge bonus. And as I mentioned to you, if you, if you don't really comply with those, sometimes um, it does become a red flag talking about money. Right. That to me is huge as well. Never talk about money. Say, hey, what are my expected? What's my expected pay in that sense? I think that's a fair question. But, you know, when you're starting to structure your entire conversation around how much you're going to get paid and when you're going to get paid and how you're going to get paid, it does really, you know, put a little bit of a, uh, I guess, a negative connotation to the interview is to say, well, are you really here to learn and to push yourself as a dentist or are you here to just make money? kind of thing right so um that's also another uh big no-no at least in, uh, from my from my perspective the other one is not showing up for your interview believe it or not this can happen and unfortunately nowadays it's actually happening more than what we what we what we would like to see it's unfortunate in our profession so interested in an opportunity my advice is just show up for the interview anyways right? Get to know the dentist, sit down with them and say, Hey, you know what? I want to hear what you're about. Tell me your story. You know, is it okay if I can come and shadow you? You know, and, and there's nothing wrong with being transparent and letting them know that you have other opportunities that you're currently considering. Right. And you know what, there's, if anything, we encourage that. Right. So um, it is a red flag. And, and if anything, you unfortunately burn a bridge when you don't show up for your interview, or even if you get, for example, a, uh, an employment letter or an offer letter of employment from an office that you go to the office, you never, you know, get back to them. I'll give you another perfect example. We had uh, a year ago, we had a really good candidate um, that graduated and, you know, we, 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 the way that we do it is that we don't interview more than one person because it's not in our um, it, it's not in our culture to go ahead and interview 10 people and offer 10 different contracts. You know what I mean? We basically will interview 10 people. The person that we like, we say, you're you're the person that we're planning to hire. Here's an employment letter. Um, you know, let us know if you're interested. If it is, it's yours to say no to. If not, then we'll go ahead and, and offer it to somebody else. But to offer it to somebody and for them not to even respond back, recognize that dentistry is a very small community, right? It's very easy for you to run into that person that, you know, didn't show up for the interview or didn't return your email or didn't call you back or, you know, any of these kind of things, you're for sure going to run into that principle. So make sure that you don't put yourself in those sticky, uncomfortable situations in the future. Awesome. So, <laughs> I hope people are writing this down. <laughs> it's recorded, huh? Yeah. Um, so a lot of our listeners are dental students. And I wanted to ask you, what are the greatest struggles of a newly working dentist? And in what ways can we be proactive and address this while we're still in school and have the educational and learning resources that we do? Absolutely. So one of the biggest struggles, Jury, that I see right now, so recognize the world that you guys are in. So in order for you guys to get to, you know, uh, to university, you had to get good grades, right? And then once you got into university, it became more or less, call it a dog eat dog world because you had to get the highest grades. I know this sounds familiar to a lot of people. You had to get the highest DAT scores. You wanted to get, make sure that you have the highest marks so you can get this one or two or three or 10 positions at this dental school, 
right? Even to the point where when you're in dental school, you get certain rankings because some people want to specialize and you're constantly in a world where you're, you're, you're fighting for survival in a way you're fighting to try to be the best, to beat the best and everything like that. And then all of a sudden you get this dentistry, then your world changes. Dentistry is not an overly competitive doggy dog world. Believe it or not, uh, Vlad, you mentioned how competitive dentistry has been in the term of saturation and there's a dental office now in every corner, but dentists aren't competitive in nature. You see what I mean? So dentists are very giving, they're very helpful. We're, we're, we're healthcare workers, you know what I mean? So all of a sudden, a new grad coming into an office setting, they automatically start, they still adapt the same mindset. Why is this, per, why is this doctor busy and I'm not busy? You know what I mean? Why are they doing crowns and I'm not doing crowns, right? Why are they seeing, you know, uh, the new patient's exams and I'm not seeing patients, new patient exams? Because they're, you, right now you're constantly sizing yourself up to your peers, where once you become a dentist, you need to just size yourself up with yourself, right? Because everybody now goes through the dental journey or their careers in a different way, right? Some people go heavy on continuing education the first five or 10 years of their careers and then never touch anything other than the bare minimum for the rest of their lives. Some people take a different path, right? But the, the most successful dentists are never looking at others. They're always just looking at themselves and seeing what it is that I can do to improve. So the sooner that you're able to grasp that mentality, and I hope that you guys do in dental school and especially your third and fourth year, I think that the better that you're all going to be because you're going to be more thinking about instead of, you know, how can I be number one and everybody else is below me? You're thinking, how can I help my colleagues? How can I help my classmates? How can I help my patients and the administrative staff, for example, at the school or at the university or the hospitals, because that's the, the mindset that you need to start developing and that you need to really, um, you know, make sure that you have nice and mature to have a successful career as a dentist. So the other thing too, um, jury is the how you can be proactive. Um, I, and I think unfortunately the pandemic did throw a big twist on all of this. And I, and I keep emphasizing the value of this is coming in and shadowing different clinics. Right. Everybody goes, you know, you don't really know what you don't know going in and shadowing at different clinics. You're able to see how certain dentists interact and staff members interact with patients, how they solve problems in a different way. And I think it's very important to recognize that right now you're in a controlled institution that wants you to do something one way. And there's, that's not wrong. That's that's just a fundamental um, rule that you're essentially learning right now, because that's going to get you out of trouble in the future, because it's a basic fundamental pillar that you need to learn. Right. But I think the sooner that you're able to adapt a mindset to say, you know what, I need to just see how everybody does this in the real world and recognize that that's going to be a tool in your toolbox that you can use in the future. I think it's very important. So going in shadowing, I know you guys are all busy, but putting that time in now, because all of a sudden fast forward 18 months from now, or, you know, six months from now, if you're a fourth year, all of a sudden now you're in the real world and you're like, shoot, I didn't spend enough time shadowing dentists because I was worried about my board exams or my competencies or treating my patients. You've essentially missed out on an opportunity of one or two years to see how things are done in the real world. So, um, that's my advice as a third year and a fourth year that you guys should really do because it'll allow you to mature a lot quicker. And as soon as you go ahead and start practicing, you're going to hit the ground running. You're not going to go through, for example, the struggles of you know transitioning from a dental student to someone that has a full-time job now. Awesome. Awesome. So on that topic, right, you know, trying to diversify your experiences and such, you know, there, there's quite a bit of, I mean, options for you to choose from as a, as a dental student, as a new grad in terms of where you want to go shadow, right? There's lots of dental corporations that are popping up. There's still a lot of mom and pop shop dental offices, right? So where would you say you would want to start? Like, what's your opinion on DSOs versus, you know, private offices? Um, are, is there a difference at all? Is it just good to see everything and see what they do? What can you say on that? Absolutely. I mean, I, I'm going to, I'm going to throw it back your way, Vlad. Okay. If you're, if you're in the restaurant business, right? Would you learn equally going to a McDonald's versus going to a keg versus going to a family restaurant? 
they all have different offerings, right? They all have different things that you can learn from to make it unique. I mean, it's it's unfortunate in my opinion that you know a lot of institutions have a negative, and a lot of mentors have a negative, you know, uh, interpretation of what a DSO is, right? Every every recognize that every dental clinic is a corporation. Right. And yes, there are many dental service organizations that scale up and have many clinics together. But the way that they make money is by being optimal, by optimizing their workflow, by being efficient, by reducing their overhead. Most of them don't come up and reduce their integrity of dentistry. Right. If anything, say that I've seen some solo practitioners that shouldn't have been practicing dentistry. Right. And of course, I've seen solo practitioners, practitioners doing elite style dentistry, but certain DSOs, for example, that have high ethics, high standards, they're able to go ahead and continue to lift all of their, their practices up together. Right. So um, to answer your question, I think you should shadow all of them. You should shadow a group practice. You should shadow specialty clinics. You should shadow dental service organizations from different, you know, you know whether it's a dental corp, a one to three an MCA and Ultima here on dental group and an Amity group or whatever it is, they all have different flavors, right? And they've all solved certain problems slightly differently. And by you going in and seeing these kind of varieties, it only allows you to become a better dentist, a better future business owner, should you choose to, right? A better colleague, right? And ultimately to say to deliver better dental care as well, because every one of them has certain ideas to turn into your own. Wow. All right. That's sweet. I'm loving this. It's just straight gems. <laughs> this is cool. Um, so Chris, Jury, in terms of associateship, uh, like applying to associateships, I just wanted to transition more in terms of like towards, you know, Hasham's perspective from a business owner. Do you guys have any more associateship related questions? Uh, no. So awesome. Okay. So in terms of you know, your lifestyle, you know, it's no secret that you manage quite, quite a lot of practices, right? Um, what's one of the sort of major strategies that you've taken in terms of developing your skill set to be able to handle such a workload? Where, where did you start learning? Yeah. So, I mean, that's a, that's a very good question. So it's a common misconception, Vlad, that um, a lot of people think, you know, that I own 20 clinics and, you know, I'm just sitting at an office and essentially just looking at numbers and, you know, firing people and hiring people. Right. So I'm, I'm a general dentist. I practice anywhere from, I mean, jury will tell you, I practice anywhere from 50 to 60 hours a week in the mouth. Right. Because that's what I love to do. Right. If you came up to me and gave me an ultimatum where you say, would you rather sell everything and just continue to practice as a general dentist or, you know, take on more of a CEO role and just move completely out of the mouth in that sense? I would say I want to be a general dentist because to me, if you come and shadow me on any given day, we're doing things like immediate implants, guided bone regeneration, sinus lift, veneers, full mouth rehab cases complicated extractions like we would do it's, i had a, a fourth year western student shadow me last week and in a single day she said i saw today what i've seen in my entire two years of clinical dentistry at at Schulich, right because it's just there's a cool variety now to answer your question the the secret it's not a secret it's all about empowerment and delegation right i i i i you know, I would say that one of my biggest weaknesses is actually management, right? One of my biggest weaknesses is leadership. And I think that's something that I've constantly spent a lot of energy, time and effort refining, right? And one of my biggest strengths is chairside dentistry, right? I, I am very passionate about that, right? And the idea here is, you know, if you empower others, to be the best that they can be. If you empower your, your managers, for example, to be able to make decisions, right? If you empower your doctors to be able to make decisions, um, if you go ahead and empower your executives to take on leadership positions and help you direct the company, at that point, you get to just do what you enjoy doing and that's just general dentistry. So to give you an idea of my lifestyle and my work style, I literally wake up at five o'clock, I read about dentistry. We're taking an IV sedation course uh, next month. I go to work 
I grab my coffee. I look over my day. My huddle starts a half an hour before the day starts. And I'm go, 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 go until my day is done. And then I just come home, right? It doesn't have a lot to do with, you know, how to run a business and how to manage a business and what's going on here or there. Of course, I'm always kept in the loop. But a big part of what I've done is empower others that I trust to make these kind of decisions. Because essentially, if I'm focusing on dentistry and they're focusing on operations or marketing or payroll or whatever it is, they become experts at that and they can service our, our, our program and service our company much better than what I can. And I think that that's a big problem, unfortunately, that dentists run into. Us as dentists, you we become micromanagers, so to say, right? We are the guys that are signing and the girls that are signing the checks. We're doing all the hiring. We're doing all the firing. We're doing all the marketing. You know, we're doing, you know, we're buying the clinic. We're setting up the floor plan. We're picking the millwork and the chair colors and all these other different things. Um, and at the end of the day, right, we're dentists, right? So it's great to learn all of these things, but at the same time, it's even better to delegate it to others that can do it much better than we can. And I think that the sooner that you're able to recognize how to delegate and how to empower, the better of a, of a clinician that you're going to become and a better leader that you're going to be as well. Very cool. Very cool. So in terms of, you know, a, a piece of advice that you would give to someone that is considering like clinic ownership, right? Where can they start in terms of figuring out how exactly to delegate? Where can they start in terms of seeing the people that they can trust be responsible for your baby, right? Like mm -hmm. you seem like you're you're obviously very, very passionate about your clinics, right? How how do you find the people that are the right fit? Mm -hmm. I, it takes time without a doubt, because, you know, trust, as you know, is not something that you automatically just hire someone, you trust them with your life. It's something that's earned and it's something that takes time. But what I would say, Vlad, my best advice that I can give you is focus on the dentistry first. I'll, I'll tell you another story. I had uh, there, there's a dentist that I'm currently working with who came into ownership a little too soon. Right. So he graduated his first year. He was working at a practice where the principal was nowhere to be found. So he wasn't able to develop his hands. The principal decided to sell the clinic and he ended up buying it. Right. And now he's stuck managing a, a, a brand new, beautiful clinic in a great location with learning how to be a dentist. Right. And the problem is, is that if I've seen a lot of dentists who are horrible, horrible business owners. OK, but they run down the road, they run profitable businesses because of just how good of dentists they are. OK, but I've seen a lot of very good business owners that really struggle. Right. So the, the best way to the best advice that I can give you, Vlad, is your first three years, you should focus on dentistry. Don't get me wrong. There, there are a ton of books that you can read, and I'm more than happy to share them with the group that will help you be a better business owner down the road. But in order for you to be a very good business owner, you have to be a very good dentist first. Right. And that's a fundamental like if it, 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 it kind of breaks my heart a little bit when I hear a lot of you know students and new grads saying, I want to own 100 clinics. It's great. Right. But you should be thinking about how to become a good dentist first. It, it was never you know, my even my thought to own more than one clinic. I was always obsessing about how to be a better dentist. Right. And if you go ahead and obsess about dentistry for the first one, two, three, four, five years of your life, the business ownership aspect of you is going to be a lot easier because you don't have to worry about the dentistry anymore. That, that, that work has already been put in. You know what I mean? Now you can Absolutely. focus on running the business, but the best part is you're the product. You're the one who offers the service. And as long as your product is good with your hands, everything else can catch up later. You know what I mean? Like, I've made, you know, we, we've had our front desk make mistakes as most businesses have in billings or scheduling or all of these other things. And yes, you know what? It upsets the patients once in a while. But at the end of the day, they'll always come back to you because you've developed a relationship with them. You offer good service. You do good work. And that's it. It's kind of like the proverbial restaurant that serves the best food on the planet, but they've got the worst service. People still go back to that restaurant because the food is good. You see what I mean? But if you go ahead and have great service at a restaurant, but really, really bad food, nobody's going to come to you, right? And what I'm trying to say to 
everybody listening right now is work on your recipe first, work on your hands, work on your skill set. Because as long as you're able to serve your patients the proverbial good food, they're always going to be coming back, right? Even though sometimes there might be some bumps and bruises down the road or administrative errors that happen or scheduling errors that happen. Hey, man, the food is great. We keep coming here every three months or six months to get, you know, a little taste of what Chef Lad offers us. Cool. Chef Vlad. Chef Vlad. Chef Vlad. I like that. We, we, we might have to, yeah. That's not something. Dr. Chef Vlad. That's what we're going to say. Just, um, yeah, everyone, talk, everyone keeps... You talk about go. the product and you talk about... And, and, and obviously that comes with experience and you've, you've gone into, in, into depths about mentorship. But what about CE? How would you approach CE? How do offices... Um, uh, how, how do some offices or different offices go about providing their associates with CE? And you were, you were mentioning incentives. Um, maybe, maybe you can talk about one, how different offices uh, approach CE and two, how you as a new grad today, how would you approach CE? What, what are the, what are the things you would focus on? What kind of schedule would you take? What kind of, um, what kind of approach would you take towards CE? I think the, it, that's a very good question, by the way, Christian. I think the best approach is to actually have a goal of what you want to achieve this year. Well, I'll give you a perfect example. So one of one of our good um, our good doctors, he he's been he's a, one of our associates, partner to be. He's been practicing for less than two years, right? And if you go ahead and you see his skill set. This guy has been, you'd think that he's got at least seven, eight years of experience based on the complex procedures that he does, right? And he's a CE junkie, right? He's taking literally every other weekend, I think he's spending anywhere from 50 to $100,000 a year in CE. Just think about that, right? And he's a new grad, so he's getting the student rates still in some cases. But one of the things that is unique about this individual compared to others that might spend the exact same amount on CE, but not get the same type of performance out of what their hands can produce is that he has a goal. So he'll say, for example, this year, I want to focus on surgeries. Okay. By surgeries, I mean, I want to focus on eights. I want to focus on suturing and flap design. I want to focus on dental implants and that's it. That's all I'm going to focus on. So all of the continuing education that I'm going to be taking is going to be geared towards these certain subjects or topics that I want to dedicate this year to. It's a different conversation versus you coming up and saying, well, I'm taking a course on Invisalign, clear aligners. I'm taking a course on how to take out a wisdom tooth. I'm taking a course on sleep apnea. I'm taking a course on root canals. And I mean, that's all great, right? It's, it's good to have the, you know, the proverbial Swiss army knife dentist, right? But recognize the fact that you have to be able to dive into these worlds and spend a lot of time and energy borderline obsessing about them before you come up to the next level of competence, right? So my advice to you is continuing education game plan every year. Right. And make sure that you put together an action plan or a strategy as to how you're going to go ahead and achieve so. And the other thing, too, of course, is reach out to your peers. You know, a lot of these um, academies, continuing education programs, they have some very, very solid marketing departments and they know how to get on your Instagram, your Facebook, your emails. They know, they know how they've mastered that. Right. But how do you know if they're good or not? Right. Sometimes reviews are a little bit gamed as well. Right. So what you need to do is you need to reach out to your peers. Hey, what do you think about this course? Have you taken that course? What are your thoughts on? Do you have any courses that you would recommend for me on um, you know, dental implants, for example? Right. And also recognize today with the technology that we have at our fingertips, you're able to take a continuing education. I'm right now part of a study club that's in Kamloops, B.C., you know what I mean? So I'm able to, to, to listen to one of my good friends, uh, Ho Young Chung, his, his implant series, and he's in Kamloops, BC. And because of the time difference, sometimes I have to fall asleep at 10 o'clock and he just started his, sur his live surgery and I'll just get the recording the very next day, right? Let alone Australia or all of the great clinicians that we have in Europe and in, in everywhere across North America. So it's all at your fingertips now more than it ever has been. All you have to do is just put together a solid game plan and ask 
and do your own homework and research and make sure that the quality um, that you're getting out of your education is sound enough to be able to translate to good customer care, good patient care. On that note too, right? You know, it's, it's one thing like taking a bunch of CE, how do you go about implementing it if it's not really like integrated into your practice or your network of practices that you're part of or associating with? How do you go about, you know, translating your first implant course into placing your first implant or translating your first ortho course into starting ortho? Mm-hmm. And then that brings us to, to the second question, actually, that, that Christian asked, which is it basically comes back to what is the practice willing to invest in you, Vlad, right? So I think it comes down to communication, first of all, right? To say to the practice, I'm taking this course on clear aligners. And a lot of these courses also offer programs for auxiliaries as well. So having your auxiliary come with you to one of these courses, right? Assistant training or, you know, uh, front desk training or whatever it is, is going to help you carry the message back to your clinic once you take it, right? Nothing is worse than you learning a new skill set and you're trying to implement it with your assistant and your assistant looks at you and says, well, what is that? What did you just learn? What, I don't understand what this is versus your assistant being a champion or sorry, being an ambassador to help champion the service that you're offering or the, um, the you know, the new skill set that you learn. Right. And I think that's where it comes to the second part is how much is best in you and your auxiliaries as well. Right. And that varies. Some offices, for example, they say, Whatever it is that you pay for continuity education is on you. Others say, we'll be more than happy to pay for it. Others say, we'll be more than happy to lend you the money to pay for it, and you can pay us back at a certain time. Others say, we'll be more than happy to pay for it, but you have to sign what we call a commitment letter, which essentially means... I'm not spending $100,000, for example, as your employer on this elaborate implant training program that you're doing only to have you after a year leave the company and I just spent $100,000 investing in you, right? So you have to put certain measures in as a business owner to make sure that it doesn't get abused, right? So, but um, in my opinion, that's a huge positive. I always like clinics that, uh, and, and owners that are constantly investing in their teams. They're constantly investing in their patients. They're constantly investing in the technology that their facilities have. And they're constantly investing in their doctors as well, because they recognize that if they're able to um, teach their doctors or invest in their doctors, their doctors will be able to translate that into better care and more services for their patients. You know what? That's a, that's a really good point. And it kind of brings us back to the interview. When you're, you almost have to plan out what, what CE you want to take out before the interview so you can have expectations of how, um, how, how the office's approaches continuing education and how, um, and, and, and even the technology the, the, the office has, for example, for in terms of scanners or, or whatever it may be, the technology in which the, the area that you want to study. So I wonder, is that, is that pushing too many buttons going into an interview and, and asking those kind of questions? Like what, uh, like what, what would you offer me in terms of CE? I mean, you don't have to ask it like that. There's a better way of asking it, but yeah. you know what I'm saying? Yeah, absolutely. As long as you're, you're asking it in a way and, and, and recognize that it's more about us, you know, it's like, you know, what are you investing in? And can you tell me what you've invested in the last year uh, towards your team in the form of continuing education or technology, right? Because that automatically will go ahead and answer the question for you. You see what I mean? So nothing is worse than, I kid you not, I walked into a clinic a couple of, probably about six, seven months ago, and their CERAC machine, and we all know what a CERAC is, right? It's a a milling unit that makes crowns for you. Literally, you could wipe, you run your finger and wipe the dust off of it. Right. So, so think about this Christian where I'm walking you through that clinic and I'm saying, Christian, this is our CERAC, right? Yeah. You get to mill your own crowns at this clinic. Right. But if this thing is collecting dust, what does it tell you? It tells you that nobody's using it. Right. And if nobody's using it, that means that you have a massive uphill battle, essentially, for you to 
take on this technology, right? Because the staff, if they're not engaged, if this thing is collecting dust, it's only a matter of time for you to come in with all of this energy, the motivation to, to adapt this technology to find yourself, you know, your staff saying, well, no, we, we don't really believe in that. Or, you know what, let's just send this, this, um, this crown to the lab instead of going ahead and doing it in-house, right? So it's very important to ask these questions and more importantly, to make sure that the principal or the owner of the clinic is constantly investing in the staff and in the teams to learn this technology and to be able to utilize it to its highest potential. And, 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 and you know what, from, just from that answer, it's not really related, but it, it's not even the questions you asked in your interview. It's how you phrase it. Like even right. like, that it like, well, what have you uh, invested in the past year rather than like, what are you willing to offer me? You know what I mean? So mm-hmm. that's a good point to, uh, moving forward. I feel like that factors into what you were saying earlier, Hisham, about changing your per- perspective and instead being a team and, and, and thinking about symbiosis and um, growing together instead of just what you can gain um, or what they can give you. Absolutely. Very cool. So we're getting closer to an hour in the recording. Time's just kind of flying by. But I know, Hisham, you're a very busy guy. I don't want to take most of your time. But if, if we can leave off on you know a, a topic, if you were to give one piece of advice to dental students, to people applying to dental school, or even just new graduates, what would it be? I mean, uh, dentistry itself, in my opinion, is the best profession on the planet. Okay, recognize this. Okay, just just recognize how amazing this profession is. Okay, we went to school for four years after after undergrad. Okay, we had to obviously take exams and standardized testing and board exams and everything like that. The average new grad graduating from Ontario out of dental school in Ontario is making anywhere or taking home anywhere from $12,000 to $40,000 a month. Okay. So put that into perspective, right? Four years after, after you graduated through, you know, your, your university or undergrad, and you're able after your first year of graduating to make anywhere from 12 to $40,000 a month. Okay. Now, not only that you can work, as hard or as, as, as light as you want, right? The weekends, or you can work two or three days a week. Of course, your pay is going to reflect that, right? You can own no clinics at all and make $2 million a year. If you want to do set up an IV pro IV sedation program, going from one clinic to another and just doing big surgeries, right? Or you can go ahead and own two to 300 clinics right across Canada and have a, a, you know, a personal net worth of nearly a billion dollars. Right. So, and everything, there's everything else in between. Right. So it's very important to recognize that dentistry, it's, it'll give you what you put into it. Right. If you dedicate your time, energy, and effort into doing good ethical dentistry, taking care of your patient first, taking pride in what it is that you offer, it's going to give you back that and more in return. And that kind of brings everything that we talked about when it comes to reciprocity, right? If you're giving more than you're receiving, right? As a healthcare practitioner, you're always going to be at the winning end of the, of the spectrum. And you know what, to me, nothing is better than talking to my colleague, talking to my classmates that graduated with me, talking to new grads or people that are in the process of retiring. And every one of them has a different interpretation of what dentistry is. But what I can tell you is that every one of them lived their life or is currently living their life and basically having their life present to them, whatever it is that they want to make of it. You know, there's, if you want to own a Ferrari and, you know, own a 10,000 square foot mansion in London, Ontario, you can do that. Or if you want to go ahead and, you know, live a frugal life, you can do that as well, right? It's whatever it is that you put into it, right? And the best part is nothing is more rewarding than changing someone's smile. Somebody coming in with, you know, 
teeth, you know, because of, you know, bad decisions that they made in their life or God forbid, an unforeseen accident and you being able to change their smile and change their function. And in my opinion, I think that's still the most valuable tool that we have in our profession, right? Dentistry is not saturated, right? Even though there is a dental clinic in one, you know, in every corner, that just means that more people are coming to the dentist more often. You know, it's uh, dentists are not clawing at each other and it's an ultra competitive world. I think that certain dentists have that mindset, but I'd like to think that the majority of dentists have a mindset of community, of giving back, of helping each other. And I think we've seen that during the pandemic 10 times over when you see the, the, the act of kindness and caring and generosity that were coming that was coming out of dentistry uh, from our profession right as an and, and finally you can be a business owner a leader in your community or you can be a, a dentist that works for a company or a corporation and be just as fulfilled because you have other things that are keeping you busy in life whether it's just or your hobbies or whatever it is. And in my opinion, I don't think there are a lot of professions that I can think of that give you that kind of variety, that give you that big of a runway and give you that um, flexibility of having your life interpreted the way that you want it to be. Awesome. Sham, you're you're such like an intelligent man, like such, such an inspirational <laughs> guy, but you're so humble. Um, and it honestly, you make me want to be a better dentist and a better person. So thank you so much for your time. Uh, Chris, Jury, do you guys have any closing remarks? No, that was, that was, that was the best, uh, ending of, a of a, of a, of a podcast we've had in a while. That was inspirational. <laughs> thank you. That was cool. Thank you guys. I really appreciate it. And thank you for your time. Uh, and I'm wishing all of you guys the best and uh, looking forward to seeing you guys on the, on, on the, uh, on the real life circuit circuit of uh, practicing dentists. Awesome. If awesome. people want to reach out to you, do you have any places they can kind of connect with you, Instagram or Facebook or LinkedIn? Absolutely. I'd say Facebook, Instagram, LinkedIn, that's all great. Uh, you can email me directly if you'd like. It's shergandds at gmail.com. Or you can call me or text me. I prefer text 519-671-5230. I put my cell phone out there. I leave it to my patients. I leave it to everybody. Um, you're more than welcome to, to send me a text. I'm more than happy to, to schedule a time to chat with you about any questions or anything that, that it is that you have on your mind. Awesome. Awesome. Alrighty. Well, thanks for joining us today. It was a pleasure. 